By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hi, welcome to Moody's Talks Muniland, the podcast about credit dynamics in U.S. public finance and sometimes beyond. I'm your host, Nick Samuels from Moody's U.S. public finance team in New York. We're branching out in this episode and for the first time examining a major public sector credit trend outside the U.S. A recent report by our London colleague Zoe Jenkel describes mounting financial stress for local authorities in England and warns that insolvencies will increase. We grew even more interested when we saw that Birmingham, the UK's second largest city, was one of the troubled municipalities and came across bankrupt Birmingham headlines. We wondered, is Birmingham the UK's Detroit? That city's massive bankruptcy filing a decade ago, the subject of a Muniland episode earlier this year, shook up public finance in the US and changed much of how we look at municipal credit. Zoe will break it down for us, including how the commercial property sector has played a role in local authorities' upheaval. But first, for years back in the U.S., we've closely covered how large and growing pension burdens have hurt state finances. But now, states are getting a measure of relief, and it's one that will continue for at least a little while. To discuss states' overall liabilities, pensions, debt, and retiree health benefits, and their ability to pay for them, welcome to Sunny Zhu in our San Francisco office. Sunny, welcome to Muniland. Thanks for having me, Nick. So every year we publish a report on state debt. We've done this for about 50 years. And recently we've also added state pension liabilities and retiree healthcare liabilities to it. It gives us a very holistic view of states' liabilities. Tell me, what did you find this year? Sure. So the state sector overall saw combined liabilities and fixed costs decline in fiscal 2022. And you are right, we now combine pension, debt, retiree health benefits, and other long-term liabilities for our ratios. So the main driver of the decline is that pensions fell following record investment gains in 2021. At the same time, the sector added less than 1% of debt in total. And in 2022, states continue to see very, very strong revenue growth north of 10% aggregate, meaning that they just have now more capacity to pay for liabilities. And can you give us a little bit of color on what states have the highest liabilities, who has the lowest? Sure. These ratios continue to vary across the sector. You've got Illinois, Connecticut, New Jersey, and Kauai to have the highest liability representing over four times the revenue. So that's triple the sector median. And all four of these states have fairly high fixed costs at around 20% of revenue. That's much higher than the 5% sector median. And a number of states have fairly low liabilities at just half the revenue South Dakota, Tennessee, Oklahoma, North Dakota, Idaho, and Nebraska, and their fixed costs are fairly low at just 2% of revenue, meaning greater financial flexibility. All right. You talked a little bit about the reasons why state liabilities have moderated. Do you expect that's going to continue going forward? 
Yes, actually, we do expect liabilities will remain lower than near term compared to a few years ago. The main driver of that is we use a market-based interest rate to discount pension burden. So our calculation of pension liabilities for states will remain somewhat lower in the next two years because of really high interest rates right now. And in addition, many states saw record budget surpluses in recent years, and a number are using their surpluses in part to our pre-funding pensions, retiree health, and defeating debt. So some are one-time in nature, but they won't show up until 2023 or 2024 reporting. Lastly, many states are also funding more capital projects with cash, given their strengthened reserves meaning less debt additions. We expect that because borrowing costs are also very high, states will continue to optimize using cash for projects. Yeah, and just just back on the pension question, I I cover the state of Texas, which is rated AAA, and it has very low bonded debt, but a real credit challenge for it is high pension liabilities. And those, those have certainly come down, and we expect that they'll come down a little bit more. They're still high, but looking not quite as challenging as before. So maybe that's a little bit of a preview to my last question is, what are the overall credit implications of this? So lower liabilities are definitely beneficial to states' credits because they mean more financial flexibility. And we have definitely been seeing more positive rating movements for the sector versus negative movements in the last few quarters. For example, we just upgraded our ratings for both Illinois and New Jersey earlier this year. Part of these upgrades reflected their improved commitments to addressing long-term liabilities, particularly pensions. And we also have positive outlooks for a handful of other states. Overall, our positive rating or outlook movements reflect a combination of factors such as strength and reserves, faster economic growth, or improved governance, but we're still monitoring the situation since revenue growth for the sector is slowing down, but there are increasing spending pressure for wages, healthcare, and social-related services. All right, Sunny, thanks so much for joining us. If you're a first-time listener, we're thrilled to have you. If you're back, thanks for your continued support. We're always interested in feedback or suggestions about future topics. Send us an email at muniland at moody's.com with your thoughts. Now, let's go from the U.S. to the U.K. as Muniland goes international for the first time. A group of local authorities in the U.K. are strained financially, and the pain is likely to spread. Let's get a lay of the land from our London colleague, Zoe Jankel. Zoe, welcome to Muniland. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is the first segment on Muniland where we're looking at a sector other than U.S. public finance. You've looked at local authorities in the U.K., some of which are having severe fiscal problems. So first off, for an audience that may not know, what is a local authority? Thanks, Nick. Yeah, so there are over 350 local authorities in the U.K. They are the main local government body responsible for things like social care for adults and children, for waste collection, general environmental policies, planning, amongst many other responsibilities. All right. And do we rate any of them? Are there any 
names we would know? And what can we say generally about their credit quality? Yeah, we've got seven local authority ratings in the UK. The the sector on the whole does not get ratings, mainly because they have access to a central government funding source. But out of the ones that, that we rate, we've got a we've got a really large or two two large rural councils. We rate a London borough. We also rate Aberdeen, which is a city in Scotland. And we rate Transport for London, which is the mass transit provider in London. Right. So certainly these entities have their own capital needs. How do they finance those? Do they issue debt? Do they get their money from other sources? On the whole, they borrow from the central government and they get to do that at pretty low rates. It's 80 basis points over gilt yields. So it's very competitive. But some local authorities have issued debt in the capital markets, and that's why we have ratings on those issuers. All right. In the U.S., most local governments are funded primarily with ad valorem property taxes. Some also have sales taxes and income taxes. What are the other revenues of these local authorities? Do they have taxing power? Do they get money elsewhere? It's very centralized in the U.K. The the funding that they get is mainly through domestic rates and business rates and then grants from central government. But they have very little freedoms over the tax rates. They're mostly set by central government. Okay. So let's get to the financial stress that some of these local authorities are facing. My eight-year-old son can easily tell you that Aston Villa is off to a great start in the Premier League this season. That's near Birmingham. But Birmingham itself, there have been reports that it is bankrupt Birmingham and that even the UK government might be taking some financial control. Um, Birmingham is the second largest city in England. In the US, 10 years ago, Detroit filed for bankruptcy, one of the biggest municipal bankruptcies ever. And that really changed a lot about how we think about public sector credit in the U.S. So tell us a bit about what's happening in Birmingham and what the implications are. Yes, I I don't want to say that it's not a big deal. It is clearly a big deal that the, the city of Birmingham is in severe financial stress, but it's not the same as as what happened in Detroit. It's more of a going concern issue. So effectively, the the revenues that they are that they get in aren't going to cover their expenditure over the foreseeable future, mainly because there's a big equal pay liability that they that they found, which means there's a big hole in their budget. But unlike in the US, or at least as far as I know, in, in the UK, the set, uh, local authorities get support from central government, and they also have access, unquestioned access to liquidity from central government, which acts as a lender of last resort for the sector. So there's no, there's no imminent bankruptcy or, or default risk, but, but clearly it is, it is a big issue and they are on significant financial stress. Okay. Now, there are some financial problems that may be more widespread, right? There are some of the boroughs that make up London and have their own governmental powers are in trouble. These are not like the five boroughs of New York City that 
that don't really do anything. These are very basic elements of, of government in London, right? Yeah, the in London, the the thirty two London boroughs, as well as the the City of London Corporation, which which governs the square mile of the city, and then on top of that, there's this, this strategic body, the Greater London Authority, which is headed up by the Mayor of London. But in reality, outside of, of TfL, Transport for London, which the mayor has control over, the, the boroughs have more the most of the powers. And what's causing their financial strain? London boroughs tend to be quite wealthy. Outside of London, there's a lot of different issues in this sector. There isn't one driver of, of financial stress. One that we have written about a lot is very high debt levels for some local authorities who have been engaging in a lot of commercial property transactions. And now because there's a property market downturn in the UK, some of those are finding that they have very large impairments on those properties. And in general, the sector's faced a lot of funding cuts over the last decade or so, and it's much more difficult to cut expenditure at the moment. There's a lot of, of sector pressures in terms of more service demand. So we're seeing quite a lot of issues crystallize at the same time. You talked about the role of the UK national government in the context of Subnational governments having financial stress. What is its role? What can it do? And what is it doing? The so the UK government ha- has a lot of powers. As I said, it is quite a centralized system, and they do provide the majority of finance in the sector. But in general, they tend to be quite hands off, and they really only engage where there's like significant financial stress. At the moment, there's a number of different local authorities. There's five now that are that have issued these pre-insolvency notices. And the main thing that the government does is sending commissioners to try and help sort out any financial or governance issues that they have. And they also can allow them to deficit finance. I think that's another big difference between the UK and the US. In the UK, local governments aren't allowed to borrow to fund operating deficits. Uh, And that's also different to some European countries as well. Uh, So that's why there's quite a bit of financial stress at the moment. Do you see the the stress getting more widespread? And, And what will that mean for creditors if it does? I think we do think that it is likely that more local governments will issue these pre-insolvency notices. At the moment, we all of our ratings remain investment grade, but there are some of the local authorities that have much more credit risk. For example, Woking, which we don't rate. Uh, it has a budget of about fifteen million pounds, but it has debt of, of nearly two billion. So that kind that in that uh, in that circumstance, there's there's obviously there would be a much higher risk of default. But I should say that most of that debt is with the government as a counterparty, so there's limited private sector exposure. Zoe Jenkel, thank you for joining us. 
That's all for now from Muniland. I'm Nick Samuels. Join us the second Thursday of every month. We'll talk with you then. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.